So very quickly, let's just dive into the word tonight and let's just uh, progress in our journey. Uh, so last night I began to speak on how do we live by God's grace. Uh, remind us that grace can be defined as the incredibly extravagant generosity of God found in and through Jesus Christ. And I've been saying, I've been pressing, I've been trying to establish the fact that grace is not just a curriculum, it's not a doctrine, but it's a system of living. It is the unveiling of Jesus with emphasis on his finished work and living in that finished work. That is, that is the main point. The grace as a system of living is the unveiling of Jesus with the emphasis, with emphasis rather, on the finished work of Christ and living on the basis of that finished work. That is the nutshell of what the gospel of grace is all about. The understanding, the embracing of the finished work of Christ and now living our lives on the basis of that finished work. So last night, very quickly, I gave us two summaries of the law. I said the law, first of all, enjoins or commands us to be holy. This is something no human being apart from Jesus can attain. Secondly, that the law commanded us to be perfect. Again, no human can or will be perfect apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. With these two summaries, it's obvious that God is the standard of measurement of holiness and perfection. And when you put any man or woman against that standard, we all come short. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, just so we can see, God never intended for the law to make anybody perfect. The law is holy, it's just, it's good, because it fulfills the purpose for which God created it, or gave it. And that is, to show me and you the futility of trying to please God apart from God. Only God can enable you and I to please him. The law was never given to make anybody perfect. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19, it says, For the Lord made nothing perfect. So I don't care if you've been keeping the Ten Commandments from when you were born. Well, remember the young man that came to Jesus and said, What are the great commandments of the law? Jesus said, Oh, you know the law. You know what it is. And he said, Oh, yeah, I did this, I did that. Ah, Jesus said, Well, you've not even seen the hand. There is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So really what the law does it's a pointer, like, a, you know, the, your dashboard in your car. You have engine oil uh, light. You have uh, temperature light. You have all these lights on your dashboard in which if any of them comes on, it tells you something. It lets you know something is going on under the hood. Check your hood. Go to the, go to the service dealer, to the dealership. Go to, take your car for service. It, it's an alert. It gives you an alert to let you know what's going on. Well, that's what the law is all about. I remember years ago in 2004 uh, when I had a condition... Uh, I had pain in my, in my chest uh, on one of the trips coming back uh, to the United States, and I wanted to see the doctor day in, day out. For two weeks, they couldn't find out what the problem was. They gave me all kinds of uh, diagnoses. Uh, they said it's acid reflux, okay? Uh, they said uh, uh, you need to get some rest, okay? And then finally, they put me on stress test. I went through the machine. The guy said, man, your heart is stronger than the heart of a uh, uh, 25. Okay, 25 year old. I said, wow, praise God. And then three days later, I found myself in surgery. 
Because all this while, for two weeks, they were misdiagnosing what the problem was. Now, how did they find it? I, I, one, one, one day, I, just, I was just in, under serious pain. Serious pain. And I went back to the doctor. He said, well, there's one last test I didn't do. Thank God for the insurance company. <laughs> they, they, they can't do all these tests unless they know their money's coming to them. But anyway, he said, there's one last test we didn't do. He said, well, let's put you in there and go do this last test. Cardiogram. See, this is where they put you up there, and they should they die in your system, and the die now helps to, find, to, to indicate if or where the problem is. So now they shot the die in me, and right off the bat, we heard the guy say, oh, yeah, this is it, 99% blockage. Now, why am I telling you that story? The law is just like that. The law is given to help you find where the problem is. When you're reading the law, you realize where your shortcoming is. Covetousness, murder, anger, uh, whatever it is. The law helps to locate where the challenge is. Now, but this is the issue. When the guy found the problem in my heart, when the guy located that uh, my aorta was blocked, 99%, he still couldn't do anything. He could only tell me there is a problem. Houston, there's a problem. He could only announce there's a problem. Now he had to send me to a specialist, a surgeon, to take care of the problem. So for me and you, the law locates your problem. God now, through the law, sends to Jesus, the surgeon, who will remedy whatever it is that is wrong. Are you following me tonight? So that's what it's all about. So the law could not do anything to make anybody perfect. And let's go to Luke chapter 5, verse 39. I mentioned this last night. Luke 5, 39. But I want to show it to you in the scripture tonight. Luke 5, 39. And no one, having drunk of the old wine, immediately desires the new. This is our problem. For he says the old is better. For most of us, we were born again under the law. Or rather, no, no, no under the law. We were born again into the law. Let, 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 let me say that again very slowly. For the most part, most of us, we were born again, but in a setting where the law reigns. So we just came into the system that we are, we are used to, which is the law. And for years, that's what we ate, that's what we drank, that's how we lived. And so now, when somebody comes and says, you know what, there's a better way. There is an unveiling of Jesus. There is a gospel of the grace of God. And we begin to dive into the world and try to understand this gospel of grace. There's a resistance. Because now you are introducing something new when you've built a lifestyle on something old for a long time. But I want us to know it is normal to be a little, say, mm, I'm not sure about this. So if you are that way, don't condemn yourself. Don't condemn yourself. It is normal that something is coming that's new to you and say, wait a minute, man, I need to scratch my head on this one. You, really? Is this really true? The Bible talks about the Berean church. They heard some truth and they went back home and the Bible said they searched the scriptures to see if these things be so. 
So I'm saying to you, no matter who is preaching to you, no matter who you are listening to, no matter who you are studying under, make sure that you exercise the diligence to search the word for yourself. Because even among those that preach the gospel of grace, we have so many diverse opinions about certain issues, even in grace itself. That does not make the word invalid. It just means we need to study and get the the mind of God to know exactly what is right. So I want to caution you on that. It is very normal that when you hear these things, you say, man, wow. Let let me go back to what's what's familiar. Look at Peter. He lived, wine, dined, preached, fellowship with Jesus for three and a half years. Jesus commended him. Thou son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Serious commendation among his peers. Immediately, Jesus went to the grave. Remember his call. He was called to be a fisher of man. And for three years, he was very diligent. But immediately, Jesus went to the cross. Everything he had for three and a half years off. He went back and picked up his net. Man, this Jesus thing, man, is gone, man. Let me go back fishing what I know. He felt more comfortable with what he knew. So I'm cautioning us tonight. Don't allow your familiar ways to be a hindrance to the new uh, vista in God that God wants to take you. Usually it's the previous move of God that kills the new move of God. The things we've known, we park there and we are unable to move forward because we have to hold on to these old things. We are too insecure and afraid. Be, be, be careful about that. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Romans 10, 4, we know, the Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if you're a believer... Jesus has ended the law where you are concerned. It's the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believes. So Jesus fulfilled the law, hear this now, and now lives in us. And his desire is to live through us. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Now he lives inside of us. For Christ in you, the hope of glory. For in him, Jesus, you live. In him, Jesus, you move. In him, Jesus, you have your being. Jesus lives in me and you now, right now. The address of heaven is you. Right now. But why is he living in us? He's living in us because now he seeks to live his life through us. Is in us. Oh no, okay, let, let me back up. It was given to us to live in us so it can live through us. <coughs> Do you all get that? Yeah. It was given to us that it might live in us so it can live through us. To, in, and through. The, the to, we have nothing to do with that. God gave him to us. The in us, we have nothing to do with that. But the through us is where we have the problem. Because we have to yield for that life of his to come out of us. Galatians 2.20. 
Let's go there. Galatians 2.20. This is where the exchange life takes place. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. That's the in. In me. Okay? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the scripture on the exchange life. I'm alive, but the life that I'm living, I'm living by the faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me so that he can live his life through me. This is where we have a major problem. Why? Because for many of us, we have not learned how to yield our members so God can live through our members. And tomorrow night we will address that, God helping us in Jesus' name. Praise God. So now, the question is, grace is living on God's provision and resources through the finished work of Christ. That's, that's what grace is all about. Now, the challenge is, the challenge for us, for us is, and I, I touched this a little bit last night, but I'm going to address it a little more tonight. The challenge is, will I trust my own resources to live the life that God wants me to live, or will I use the resources that God has given? Every day, every moment, that's the choice we make. Honestly. That's it. Will I use my own resources? Or will I use the resources that God has given? Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. I touched it a little bit last night, but I think I will do a little better job now. Look at what it says. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now, when we use the word curse here, let me, let, me, let me break this. Let me make sure you understand this. For a born again believer, we are not saying you are cursed and you're going to die and go to hell. I want to make sure you understand that. So this is not a threat that you will die and go to hell and lose your salvation. No. But curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Verse 6. What's the result of a man that trusts in man and his, his, his own strength? He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. That is one option. And God helping us, no one here will choose that option in Jesus' name. The next option, the grace option, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. The man or the woman whose trust in the resources provided by God and whose hope is the Lord. What's the outcome? Verse 8. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Oh, underline that. Why do you need to underline that? Because heat will come. We show you that in Joseph. Adversity is guaranteed because all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer tribulation. However, you will not fear when heat comes. Why? Because you will not face the heat with your own resources. But it's live will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought. And that's another one you can underline. There will be years of drought, but you will not have to be anxious. Why? Because man is no longer your source. God is your source. And as long as God is your source, no matter the heat, 
no matter the drought, you will be sustained. You will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. That is the option that Jesus is screaming and saying, please take this option. That's the choice that's before us. Living under the law or living under grace. Amen? Now, how do we now put all this together and live under this dispensation of grace? We started talking about that last night. And last night I gave you the first point, which is the point on humility. We went through all the scriptures. I will not do that again tonight because we dealt with that sufficiently last night. The only thing I didn't mention to you last night is the fact that Jesus himself in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says he humbled himself. That was the way to his victory. And if you look at that passage, the context there, the beginning, give me Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2, beginning from, where does it start? Praise God. Philippians chapter 2. Okay, verse 5. Look at, look at how this, this whole context starts. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then under scripture, Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. So basically what he's saying is what you already have, yield to it. Yield to it. Now, let's read on verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it a robbery to be covered with God, but made himself of no reputation, how did he do that? It was a voluntary thing. He did it deliberately. Taking the form of a bond servant, how did he do that? He did it deliberately. And coming in the likeness of man, okay? And being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you know how humiliating that was? To walk through the streets of Golgotha where men are sneering and calling you names and all kinds of abuse and violations just taking place. Life, and these are the people to which you came to save. Yes. To be flogged in, in public. Verse 9. Therefore, keep key word, that's a very key word. Therefore, Therefore, because of what happened in verse 8 and verse 7, therefore. So that humility now produced the therefore. Are you following me? God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Amen? Amen. Good. So the second point in how to live by grace is the issue of faith. Two keys in living by faith. Number one, humility. We, we addressed that very fully last night. And number two, the issue of faith. Faith. Now, the Bible is very clear. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Or rather, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. But the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. In other words, you are believing God for something that's not manifested itself, even though there's a hope and a substance that is, it's there. 
How do we appropriate faith? Romans 10. Now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now this is very, I'm about to take us into a series of scriptures now that is absolutely critical. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we are told in Hebrews that through faith, God framed the world. Can you imagine? Even God himself used the faith to create the world. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay. Whatever grace has not provided, faith can never appropriate it. I'm being slow, I'm being deliberate. Whatever grace has not provided for, you cannot use faith to get it. Let me give an example. So there's a man, John. He sees another man, Steve. He cannot say God told him to go and marry Steve. Okay, you guys didn't, you didn't hear me. John, a man, cannot see Steve, another man, and said, God spoke to him, John, a man, to go and marry Steve, another man. That's, that's, that's not faith. Why? Because grace has not made provision for a man to marry a man. Wow. Are you guys here? What's, what's, why, why, why is that so? <laughs> why are you guys looking at me? Or, or maybe it's a no-brainer to you, but people are living like that. Do, 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 I mean, you guys are saying it's a no-brainer. This, do you, this is 20, 2019 United States of America. It's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. The point I'm making, even though that was, that was highly, incredibly outlandish, but I'm just trying to make a point that you can only apply faith to something God has said. That's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. If the word of God has not made provision for it, you cannot use faith to try to get it. Are, are you following me? Yes. Now, the Bible also tells us, Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Let's go to Romans 15, 4. What Oh, good. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, give me this scripture in Dr. Onofiok's translation. If, in case you don't know that, that's NASB. NASB. There you go. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for instruction so that through perseverance and encouragement, why do we need perseverance? Because there will be obstacles. Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is huge. I'm going somewhere with this. Now give me 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse, let's start from verse 1. 
1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? Now, who's Paul talking about here? Who's he talking about? Israel. Israel. Now, remember what I said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then at the very beginning, when we started out tonight, we said that grace living is living on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Huge. So the Bible is belabeling this point to help me and you understand that the things that were written earlier, ancient scriptures, in particular here, how God dealt with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. The Bible is telling us that this was for our learning. So the question then is, what are we supposed to be learning about these people? What? what? What exactly what should we be learning about them? Very, very important question. Now, give me verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and then I'll, 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 I'll break it down. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things, the things he mentioned earlier, in verses 1 through 6, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This is what's going on, my friends. God allowed Israel to go through everything they went through. Like a huge theater, like a drama, like a movie. So that in 2019, you and I would sit down, watch and read all of that stuff and say, oh, wow, what a great performance. And the idea here is, God is saying, listen, I did all of that for you. Because as you study their lives, you will glean principles that will help you understand what I've done for you now. Good. So far, so good. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, we are saved by grace through faith. Put it, put it on the board for me. It is the gift of God, we are told, not of works, lest any man should boast. Here we go. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Leave that up there for a minute. Leave that up there. Now, let's, let's, let's go back. If what Paul said is true, about how the things that happened in the past is to teach us. Now, let's, let's look through all of these things and begin to see if it, if it fits. You are saved by grace, through faith. That, not of yourselves, is a gift of God. How did Israel come out of Egypt? Was it because of the arm of the flesh? Or was it by grace? Grace means what? It is all God's initiative. Those guys were lavishing in Egypt. They were in hard bondage, in oppression. They were crying out to their affliction masters. 
and God. Where are there called Moses Adam said, go back and deal with that thing. Totally by grace. Now, Moses, don't, don't go there, but you can write this down in Acts 7, verse 24. When the impression first came upon him to deliver Israel, he thought it's something he could do on his own. You know the story, Acts 7, 24? He killed an Egyptian who was fighting the Hebrew, thinking that somehow his might will get them out of Egypt. Man, what a mess that would have been. For these feeble Hebrew slaves to think they can take on the army of Egypt. I mean, you can just see the disaster right now. You are saved by grace. So the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt was totally a God plan, a God thing, and a God execution. You know the story, I don't want to go back through it. They killed a the lamb, they put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Everyone that did that, the angel of death passed over them. Totally of God. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Go ahead, verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Moses could not say, I did it. He had no part in it. He just followed the instruction given by God. Just as you and I today are born again, saved by the grace of God, through the Lamb of God that shed the blood for the redemption of our sins. Now, let me go to one more scripture. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6. I'm building this. Chapter 6, verse 23. There you go. So we know that God delivered them in Egypt. Now, when he delivered them, did he just say, okay, you are delivered, now just go buy a bus ticket to Canaan, you buy a bus ticket to go to Australia, you buy a ticket to go to the United States, you buy a ticket to go to Nigeria? Is that what he did? No. Even though they were saved or delivered from Egypt, they still didn't know what to do. They could not move forward. Except God did it. Look at what the Bible says. Then he brought us out from there. Glory to God. Why? That he, the one that brought us out, that he may bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. Don't miss this point. The idea here is God is trying to show you and I what the finished work looks like. Because if you can see what the finished work of Christ looked like in the Old Testament, then you have confidence to rest in the finished work of Jesus for us today. When he brought them out of Egypt, it was only him that could take them into the promised land. For me and you, the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is a land, it's a place of spiritual victory in your day-to-day living. So the point is, he saved you, delivered you from the bondage of sin, and only him can take you to that place, that land, where you live spiritually fulfilled, spiritually blessed, spiritually manifesting the graces of God. He brought you out, only him can bring you in. Why are you trying to do it yourself? 
If it took him to bring you out, what makes you think you, on your own, can take yourself in? You didn't bring yourself out. He brought us out to take us in. Are you following me? Now, look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. I want to show you all these parallels so you can understand why Paul says they are our examples. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Look at what God says. You are a holy people to the Lord, your God. Isn't that amazing? Do you, you guys see this sentence? You are a holy people to the Lord, your God. Do you know who God is talking about here? The Israelites? <laughs> you, you have a catalog of their career, and yet God says they're holy. Because it caused those things are being not as though they are. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Now, watch this now. The Lord your God has chosen you. Do you see that word there, the word chosen? Where is, do you see that? Ephesians chapter 1. That's the word chosen. You see it again in Ephesians chapter 1. Me and you being chosen by God. You better understand what you have in Christ Jesus, my friends. When you understand who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has finished for you, you'll be so, you'll be so madly in love with him, sin will fall in love with you like butter. Sin will have no appetite for you whatsoever because now you recognize what Jesus has done for you. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Go ahead. Now, watch this now. For the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people for you are the least of all the peoples. But, why? Why did he choose you? But because the Lord loves you. Is that not what the reason for which he chose me and you now? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He gave the only begotten son. Man, I don't want you to miss these connections. This scripture, the Bible, is a complete, harmonious book. Because the Lord loves you and because he will keep the oath which is what to your fathers. Why does God give me and you the things he's providing? Why? Number one, he loves us. Number two, he cut a covenant with his son. And he will not go back on that covenant. Hallelujah. Jesus is in heaven saying, Daddy, I paid for that. Check. 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 There's a covenant in place. And it's between God and God. No, it's not between you and God. You're a beneficiary of that covenant. And it's between God and God. But because you are in God, Jesus, you can claim it. You can say it's between you and God. <laughs> but you must understand that the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. And that's the seed that was promised. So let's just leave that alone. So you see that. Now, what does the promised land look like? Or what does the finished work look like? Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. What does it look like? You know, I remember years ago, Brazil, in South America, needed a new capital. So what did they do? 
they looked at the, ge the, ge the map of Brazil and found a midpoint in the map of Brazil. And they went to that place, totally virgin land, never lived, never inhabited by anybody, cleared the whole place, and built a brand new city called Brasilia. And when it was finished, with infrastructures, roads, development offices, buildings, the seat of government, the federal government of Brazil moved there as a capital. They changed the capital to Brasilia. Amen? Amen. Not too long ago, well, it's been a long time now, Nigeria did something similar. Why are you laughing? What is so funny about that? So Nigeria felt, you know what? Lagos was too congested. Population density. They also, like Brazil, wanted to create a new capital. And they did the similar thing. Went to the midsection of the nation. Cleared the place. They called the place Abuja. They put infrastructure, buildings, offices. And when they thought it was ready, the seat of government, the federal government, moved out of Lagos and moved to Abuja. And Abuja has become history since then. That's, 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 that's what happened. Now, when God took Israel, a population of about 2 million people, out of Egypt, don't miss this point, God did not employ the Brazilian model nor the Nigerian model. He did not find a virgin line, recreate it, build offices, and move Israel there. No. This is God in motion. God dispossessed nations that were wicked and gave their possessions to his people. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. The point is not even in dispossession. The point is, when Israel arrived in the promised land, it was a finished product. Finished. They didn't have to do jack. Now, why do you think God did that? Because God saw into the future and know that Dr. Norfolk will be here. Brother Tunde will be here. I'll be here. Odun will be here. Sean will be here. We all will be here. And we are scratching our heads. What does the finished work of Christ look like? What does it mean? God said, I have a pattern for you. I have a pattern for you to understand what the finished work looks like. Determine chapter 6, verse 10. For it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which is what to, to, you, to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. It's not of works, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. You won't have to build it. I'm going to give you stuff that's already done. Next verse. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. You did not have to go to Best Buy to buy them. You didn't go to Sears to put, put in the appliances. I'm going to give you houses. When you open the door, it's filled. Right. 
my God, everything you need will already be in there. Why? I'm Jehovah God. I'm the great El Shaddai. I'm the many-breasted one. I have given the provision. He's given you a picture of the finished work. It's finished. But notice the emphasis. He's telling you didn't build it. You didn't feel it. He wants you to know it's not by, it's not by work. He could have just said, I'm giving you cities. He could have just said, I'm giving you houses. No. Cities you did not build. Don't forget, you did not build it. Houses, Mr. Okoro, filled with good things. You didn't feel it though. Don't come later and say, God, this, my paycheck bought this. No, you didn't feel this. Horn at wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Look at the emphasis. Totally eliminating and removing you, your action. Totally. He doesn't need your action. Are you seeing this? How do we get on this track? I said two things we need in order to walk the grace of God in our lives. In order to see the grace of God walk in our lives. Number one, humility. We addressed that last night. Number two, faith. But the issue with faith, you cannot have faith if you don't know the word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you need to know what did the finished work, what does it mean? What, where does it apply? What does it provide? You are looking at it. So if I'm running up Elta Skelter to buy a house or to do a house or to build a city, you're just, you're just, you're just, you're just laboring. You're, you're doing things that God has already provided them. Now, this is the issue. Those things were there. God already made a provision. He said, listen, this is what I'm doing for you. But you know what? The people still have to show up to fight. That is the faith element. He built the houses. He built the cities. He dug the wells. He planted the vineyards. He didn't bring it to them. He said, you're going to have to go and get them. In other words, let me translate that for you. You have to believe me that I've done it. Now go get it. You have to believe me that these things are what I said they are. Now, on the basis of what I've said to you that this is yours, get up and go get it. My friends, what he did for them is what he has done for us. When Jesus said it, it is finished. Everything concerning your redemption is already completely done. The issue is, are we going to enter into it? Are we going to rest? Rest meaning, rest is not talking about being inactive or being passive. No. Rest meaning, I'm depending, I'm relying, I'm trusting that it's done for me, and I'm just confidently at rest. I'm not in anxiety, I'm not fretting, I'm not scratching my head. God said it, that settles it. Huge. But your faith must have an object. 
You can't just say, I have faith. Faith in what? It has to have an object. You have to understand what God has done. And then when you understand what he has done, then you're able to enter into it. This was where Israel failed. This is where they failed. Because even though God prepared them, let's go to Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, okay. Let's start from verse 31. Oh. No, 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 no. Let's start from verse 27. We're almost done. Verse 27. So this was happening in this context. Moses sent those guys out to go spy the land. The land that God promised them. Twelve men who are leaders of the tribes, went and came back. And in verse 27, this is the report they brought back. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Can you imagine that? They confirmed that the land is just as good as we said it is. And we have the fruit of the land. If that's all they said, they would have been fine. <laughs> Nevertheless, who asked them for that, for, for that sad commentary? <laughs> this is the thing I don't like with the, with the news media in the, in the U.S. <laughs> On both sides, by the way. Both sides. Both sides. They give you the news. Okay, let me just take it and let me go, let me go break it. Let me go understand it for myself. Then this, this man or woman who came from God nowhere, they, they now begin to give a commentary about what they, the fact they just gave you. And by, by the time you leave, you don't even know what you believe any longer. Crazy. Give me the facts and let me deduce what I want out of it. That's what news is. No commentary. So now they went to see the land. They said it flows with milk and honey. What else do you need? And here is the fruit. We even brought fruit back. Nevertheless, Sean Hannity and Wolf Blitzer, they got involved there now. That's nevertheless. The people who dwell in the land are strong. Who's asking you for that? The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. Now, if you read the God's interaction with Israel, he already told them Enoch people are very fierce people. God actually told them that. So if God already told you that they are fierce, and in spite of that, he says, I've given you the land. What, is, what, what, what issue is that? Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Okay? Verse 30. Now, Caleb knew where that was going. He's hearing this report. Wait, wait, wait. This, this is going down south. <laughs> I better stop this joke as well before they, before they kill all of us. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go about once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Can you say that? But the man who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people. For they are stronger than we. Do you see their point? Did their strength bring them out of Egypt? 
Why now do you think your strength will, t- will give you the land? That's a message there for us. We didn't save ourselves. God saved us. So why do you think now you have to win your own battles? And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. <laughs> and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Is there another verse? There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. That's a disaster. They took a thing that God began spiritually, divinely, that God started and then God says, go and get it and they're now saying, they're not, for some reason, they think now they are going to have to do it on this own. And God has told them, I've gone before you. I've gone before you. So my friends, I'm just saying to us tonight, the virtue of humility, which you already have, because it's a disposition of your mind, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And you already have the mind of God. You already have humility. Exercise it. And understand that everything God, Jesus has already provided. Now, does that mean because God is doing it, we are passive, we have no part in it? No, that's, that's not what it means. When you hear what God is saying to you, then you follow that. Because the power to do it is inherent in the word that God is speaking to you. Just obey him. Even when it, even when it's, when it sounds crazy, when it sounds outlandish, be willing to be ridiculed. One last thing about Joseph that I didn't say the other night. Of the seven things that made Joseph so thick was that Joseph was a man of faith. He believed God to the end. He believed God to the end. He was loved by God. He had intimacy with God. He lived a holy life. He was a forgiving man. He went through adversity and he served the world. But last but not the least, he was a man of faith. I'm going to show that now and then we're going to close and go home. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Genesis 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are you kidding me? This was before the time of Moses. This is Genesis chapter 50. Joseph was in Egypt, having been a prime minister. And now he was dying. And even in his dying, he never lost the hope that God one day would bring Israel into their own land. He never gave that hope up. Next verse. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, 
God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. <laughs> In other words, I don't know when God is going to do it. I will die before it happens. But some of you here in this room will be alive when it happens. And when it does happen, dig up my grave, carry my bones, and take me to that promised land. I saw it, but I will also be in it with you, even in my death. Oh, hallelujah! Glory be to God. That's a man of faith. We can read Exodus 13, 19. Diola, please get on the keyboard. Let's just wash it before we go. Exodus 13, 19. Exodus 13, 19. And Moses, years later, years later, when a father, now, over 400 years has passed now. Can you imagine that? And Moses took the bones of Joseph. <laughs> Glory to God. With him. For he had placed the children of Israel on that solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Let's just raise up to our feet and just bless the Lord. Let's just thank God for his faithfulness. Let's thank him that his word will never fail. God's word is sure. God's word is certain. When God speaks a word, let's receive the faith of the Son of God to receive the word of God and just say, God, let it be unto me according to thy word. Let it be unto me according to thy word. Let it be unto me according to thy word. Even though things may be hard, things may be tough, I may have issues, I may have challenges, but I'm not going to let my challenges stop me. I'm not going to let my circumstances stop me. I'm not going to let anything around me rob me of my destiny in God, of the promises of God. I'm not going to trust in mine or mine's resources, but I'm going to trust in you, Lord God, who is able to bring things to pass in your own time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we bless you tonight. Lord, we praise you tonight. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your tender mercies. Thank you for your love wherein you loved us. We bask in your love tonight. We embrace your love tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, yes. Jesus. <laughs> Woo!
grace tonight to trust you to move forward in you to possess our possessions to be made in your image and your character Lord God in the name of Jesus we thank you that we are special people unto you we honor you we bless you Lord Jesus Yeah, maybe I can't make it to the other side.